This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 10th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The White House is moving to renew and establish nuclear weapons agreements with Russia and China. What might that broad agreement look like and how would it address nuclear danger? Cato's Eric Gomez comments on the New START Treaty and its necessarily tight deadline. The president is well known for pretty bellicose rhetoric. Uh, It wasn't that long ago, although it seems an eternity ago, that he was having this public argument with Kim Jong-un. And both sides seem to be, you know, issuing some pretty substantial and worrisome threats. And now we see a, a push for arms control with large adversaries, China and Russia, What explains uh, this either change of heart or public shift? I think it's can sort of be tied down to just Trump's kind of varying nature, right? Um, He has talked before about obviously his his whole, you know, art of the deal, great negotiator type mindset that he has of himself. Um, And he's also talked about wanting to have arms control before is like this kind of, uh, you know, big negotiation that he could sort of successfully do. So I think there's some aspect of ego stroking going on for sure. Um, It also tracks with his sort of idea of doing away with a lot of Obama stuff. So when he came in, he really set his sights on getting out of the Iran deal and saying that he could get something better. And now we're sort of testing that out now with the U.S. out of the deal and trying to pressure Iran via sanctions uh, to to come back to the negotiating table and Iran isn't having it. Um, there's an aspect here of Trump wanting to do away with things that were accomplishments of the Obama administration. Most notably that we've seen so far is the JCPOA or Iran deal uh, that Trump withdrew from pretty quickly uh, in his tenure. And now the latest arms control agreement is called New START. It stands for the New Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty. Uh, That is a U.S.-Russia agreement that the Obama administration signed in 2010 that sets some limits on how many strategic nuclear warheads and launchers each side can deploy. It's been very successful in terms of increasing transparency and and having uh, a very rigorous inspection mechanism so the two countries know what's going on with the other's nuclear arsenals. But Trump needs to extend this agreement by five more years uh, by the time it expires in 2021 or else we're not going to have any arms control between the United States and Russia effectively. There there are some agreements, but nothing of of this kind of scale and sophistication. And it seems like his desire to say, you know, we're going to negotiate these new agreements with uh, China and Russia seems to be coming more from a place of personal desire to strike a deal um, and to, you know, be a good negotiator rather than any kind of overarching strategic logic or planning. Because the people he's surrounded himself with, the people that Trump has surrounded himself with, in general, are pretty opposed to arms control, and uh, especially people like John Bolton. So I'm not sure if we should be reading uh, too much strategy into this decision. All right. So uh, to the extent there is a strategy at work, even if it's not uh, the president's, what what is that likely to look like and what should it look like? Well, I think the biggest challenge here is most U.S. arms control agreements, especially with the Soviet Union and then with uh, Russia after the Cold War ended, were about setting 
limits on the number of systems each side have, each side had. So focusing on a sort of quantitative approach. Um, and so that way, you know, if both sides were at relative parity with one another, then neither could sort of main, could try and like sprint out to an advantageous position over the other. And that was kind of the logic behind it. That mindset could still sort of work if you're dealing just with the Russians. But if Trump wants to bring the Chinese into the equation, that really complicates things because their arsenal is so much smaller uh, than either Russia or the United States. China has about 300 or so uh, warheads, not all of which can actually even reach the United States, um, whereas Russia and the United States both have in the neighborhood of 1,500, a little bit, I think, below 1,500 deployed strategic weapons uh, for each country. So we can't have a sort of quantitative approach with the Chinese unless we're willing to you know, reduce our arsenal uh, substantially, which I don't think is something that the Trump administration is calling for here. Um, so in terms of what the agreement would look like, I, I think it's going to have to get very creative. I think it's going to have to, if anything is going to be successful at bringing uh, all three of the the sort of nuclear great powers in on one agreement, it's going to have to include some things like limitations on missile defense systems, uh, things like transparency measures. But again, transparency is going to be very difficult with the Chinese because when you're that much weaker than the other two, there's advantages in being ambiguous and unclear about, you know, what is your nuclear strategy exactly? Um, because if you reveal just how weak you are, then you're in a pretty rough position. So I don't know exactly what would it, would be in it, but it definitely is going to have to move away from just this sort of uh, nuclear parity mindset that has guided so much of U.S.-Soviet and U.S.-Russia arms control um, and it's going to have to include a lot of other things so that that are frankly pretty unique um, and advanced or or uh, sophisticated from an arms control mechanism perspective. And I'm not sure if the administration has really given itself enough time here because elections are coming up uh, in the next year or so, and I'm not sure that they're going to have enough time to actually make a good go at it. Um, now, maybe it's something that Trump could use to say, look, I've been negotiating with the Chinese and the Russians on this for a year or so, reelect me and I'll finish it later. Um, but if he's hoping for sort of like a quick uh, diplomatic victory to go into the election and raise his chances of reelection, I don't think they have the time to pull it off. For the benefit of uh, myself and and listeners, what did the nuclear arms reduction treaties, I can remember, was it the SALT treaties that were signed by Jimmy Carter? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what did those look like? And is there something worth emulating in those arms agreements? Um, well, I think the thing that is wor most worth emulating, I'm less familiar actually with those earlier agreements, but I'm a bit more familiar with with New START, the most recent U.S.-Russian one. So I'll, I'll focus my comments on that. Um, so the best part... I think arguably about New Start is it does a lot on the transparency side. There's a lot of mutual inspections by each country. Um, there's a lot of focus on openness and being forthcoming about information um, regarding transparency and verification of the agreement. And I think that is going to be something that, you know, going forward especially in any future U.S. and Russia agreement that will be very important to have because 
you know, if if we can get that kind of information through a treaty mechanism, then we don't have to spend the time and the resources and the money on trying to get that information via other means of intelligence, right? So we could try to expend a lot of resources and effort on learning more about Russian nuclear forces without a treaty in place, which will involve, you know, a lot of reconnaissance assets and uh, in-country intelligence gathering attempts. And But that's all kind of much more difficult and can sometimes be more dangerous. Um, so having that sort of openness with one another, I think, is a big advantage of the treaty and is something that a lot of proponents of keeping it are, are really making a big argument going forward. So what, what do experts in the field of, you know, uh, nuclear weapons, what is the rational argument for saying, yes, all these countries, we should agree to these kinds of things? Well, first and foremost is reducing nuclear danger. Uh, the presence of arms control just by itself can, I think, be a very positive thing for getting countries to learn how to talk with one another about these sorts of problems. And so that way, it might help down the road if the two countries get into a crisis with one another, then there's this sort of shared understanding or shared uh, communication that's been going on as part of the arms control process that makes it a bit easier to navigate those problems. And there's, I think, less of a risk of crises spiraling out of control and becoming conflicts. Uh, so that's that's one big advantage of it. The first big benefit of arms control agreements is their ability to reduce nuclear danger. And this is primarily dealing with the idea that crises that happen, so military standoffs or political standoffs between two countries that could escalate to a nuclear level, if you have arms control in place, then you have these sort of communication mechanisms between nuclear armed countries that can hopefully be used to head those crises off either before they start or if they start to better manage them and prevent them from spiraling out of control. Another major advantage of arms control agreements is that uh, a cost-saving uh, dimension where having some sort of limitations in place on what you can build it uh, allows you to save resources and not spend a lot of money doing nuclear arms racing with another country and trying to achieve an outright advantage that way. And the third sort of general point uh, is that they can be strategically advantageous. Uh, for example, some parts of the New START Treaty, uh, there's this aspect of counting launchers. And in the counting, US, the U.S. was able to get uh, heavy bombers counted as one launcher, no matter how many nuclear weapons that platform can carry at one time. And that's good news for the United States because our bomber fleet is a lot better than the Russian one. Um, and so in terms of, you know, when you're tallying up our numbers and limitations, that is a good picture for us or a better picture for us than it is for the Russians. Um, and then so you can use arms control to kind of reinforce certain advantages that you have in the military space. Um, and the important thing to say here is that, you know, arms control isn't uh, perfect, right? There's no agreement that is really sort of um, really great for one side and really terrible for the other. Usually there's, a, there's some trade-offs and compromises that both sides need to make. 
And I think that the United States right now, especially under the Trump administration, has a problem with that, where we don't want to limit ourselves in order to have a competition that is a bit less intense because we just want to sort of compete and win through the competition. I think that's a mindset that is very emblematic of John Bolton's thinking on a lot of these issues. And while, you know, you can sort of understand why that thought process exists, when it comes to nuclear stability and and preventing conflict that could escalate into nuclear war, it can be very hard to actually successfully compete in that realm. And we can accomplish, the United States can accomplish a lot of political and security objectives that we have, not necessarily all of them, but we can accomplish, if we can accomplish most of them through an arms control agreement that reduces some of these risks of competition, then I think that's a better outcome for us long term than just trying to say, you know what, we're just going to go pedal to the metal on a competitive strategy and we can we can outlast the other side or we can do better than the other side. Um, I think that mindset is very prevalent right now, um, but I also don't think that it was successful or safe. Eric Gomez is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.